0: All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Living Truth. We're glad you're here. We're in the book of Hebrews tonight, chapter 12. Getting back on track is the message. So let's turn there in our Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read the text together. So once you have it, if you're able to stand, why don't you stand for the reading of the Word of God, Hebrews 12. We're going to do 12 through 17 tonight. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet, Hebrews twelve thirteen so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with which, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he he sought for it with tears. You can have a seat. Thank you, Father, for this section of scripture. And as we look at it, it is really a continuation of the theme of discipline. And we know we have a loving Heavenly Father. As we address you right now, we address you as our Heavenly Father who loved us so much that you gave your Son for us. And you've made us co heirs with Christ. And yet at the same time, we know that in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and in the ministry that you have toward your children. One thing that you do do as a loving father is you discipline us because you love us. In fact, it proves our sonship and that we are sons and daughters of the most high God when we are disciplined. And we learned last week from Pastor John that when you discipline us, you do it for our good, that we might share your holiness. And Lord, we have such a long way to go to share your holiness. And so we know that probably more times than we might imagine, you're doing some disciplinary work in our life, not not to beat us up, but to make us better, to make us more like you. We need discipline, Lord. We all know we need it in life, and we all all know in the spiritual realm how much more do we need it. And yet it's not fun, and and the reality is that sometimes uh, we don't even know how to respond to it. And tonight we're gonna learn how to respond rightly to the discipline of God. What do we do after we get a spanking, as it were? How do we get better? How do we chart a course that's going to be healthy and productive? And we're actually going to learn from the discipline. These are all very important topics, Lord. And so we're going to ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we move through the text. We'll pray right now together with one heart for application, for ears to hear. And that Tonight, because we've been here, we'll be a little bit more like Jesus. It's in his name, holy name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So in 2009, I had the privilege of teaching this section of scripture. I called it responding right to God's discipline, or responding to the discipline of God. And maybe it's not something that you've thought about before, but, you know, if we got disciplined growing up, or maybe you got disciplined at work, maybe you're in a context where you get written up or something like that. You know, that can be a hard thing when you get corrected. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, you're not kind of measuring up to the standard. And now something happens. You get called out. And now you got to figure out, what do you do? And uh, I know in my history as, of working, I got fired from one job in my whole working career. It was from a church. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a church. You're like, oh, no, really? We want that backstory. No, it was a pizza place. Now I had grown up working in my uncle's pizza parlor and I was managing the place at 16 years old and I knew the business pretty well, but I got hired at this other place a couple years later and I have to admit, I was kind of dogging it. I was not motivated. I was not doing what I was supposed to do. They wanted me to multitask and I wasn't doing it and they canned me. And it was a pretty rude awakening and it was kind of like, okay, now what do I do now? I got fired from a pizza place. I mean, that, you know, It's a fairly low place to be in life, you know, but anyway, so that's your, that's your pastor's history. If you ever wondered, no, that's not all of it. I was a teenager at the time, but, but it does make you think like, okay, now what? And of course, you know, if you were here last Wednesday, when we were talking about Pastor John brought up a father's discipline, assuming that you had a good father, good mom, you know, that discipline is part of what they're supposed to do. If you're without discipline, you're going to be in trouble, But even for parents, trying to balance loving discipline, encouragement, you know, balancing encouragement with discipline is is not always easy. It could be a tricky thing. But God is very good at what he does, and he knows when we need to be disciplined and why we need to be disciplined. And we learned last week from these final couple of verses, if you peek back uh, in the um, immediate setting of, uh, just go back to verse 11, The writer says, all discipline for the moment, the short term, if you will, seems not to be joyful, and we'd all say amen to that, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So in the verse right before that, it says, our parents disciplined us, our fathers for a short time as seemed best to them But God disciplines us for our good, notice, so that we may share his holiness. When I had first become a father of three boys, you know, three boys are pretty rambunctious and they're all in their 20s now, but trying to balance loving discipline uh, was new for me. I was a new dad. And so I would turn on focus on the family and family life today, and I would try to learn how to discipline and how to understand my children's different personalities and what to do. And one thing I did learn is after I did discipline them, and it was per- pretty rare, but when I had to give them a little spanking or something and they cried, I was taught to hug them and, first of all, set a very clear boundary. Like, if you do this again, you're going to get a smack or you're going to get a little spanking and the eyes would be big. And And then if they crossed the line, I had to follow through because we've all learned that consistency is very important. And so you know, we'd often have some tears and then I would hug the boys and I would say, I love you. Do you know why I disciplined you? Yes, you told me not to do it and I did it. Oh, yes, you did it. <laughs> he shaking and all, all that stuff. Okay, now let's learn from this and let's let's move on and don't do that anymore. And it was often a sweet moment even though the discipline was hard and the tears, you know, as parents, you never want to see your kids crying and stuff like that, but... It could be fruitful because it was balanced with love. And I just want to say right out of the gate, that's what, that's what you need to know motivates the discipline of God. It's for your good that you might share his holiness. And as I mentioned in the prayer, we all have a long way to go. I have a long way to go to become as holy as God, but that is the goal. The goal is holiness. We're to be holy like our father. And so that's what we're aiming for and we all realize it's a journey. And so with that in mind, verse 12 begins with the word, therefore, connecting us always to the previous section or verses. Therefore, strengthen. This is where we get the English word orthopedic. We'll come back to that in a second. Strengthen um, the hands that are weak. You could uh, render this your feeble hands. The NIV has it that way. Strengthen your feeble hands. The New King James has it as the hands that hang down and the knees that are feeble. Now, I mark the knees that are feeble because this is very personal to me. I have very feeble knees. I've torn two ACL ligaments in one in each knee over the years. And so I've had reconstructive surgery on one knee and uh, uh, arthroscopic on the other. And then I've had a whole host of problems and sometimes when you guys are here on Sundays, you see me kind of gingerly going down those stairs. There's a reason for that. I, I have had multiple knee surgeries. And most days, my knees hurt. And it just depends on kind of what the level is. So I can relate to sore knees. And even though um, I've been through some knee surgeries, and you know, the hope would be that you would get some correction. And some of you out there have gone through knee replacements, which is a pretty significant surgery. Uh, There's nothing like the original parts in their proper working order. Can I get a witness? (laughs) And so I can understand the concept of feeble knees, and I'm about to have a procedure where they're going to do an injection, and uh, it's called PRP, if you guys have heard about that. And they're going to try to take my own blood and put platelets in there and see if that will promote healing. Because I still want to play golf, and I still would like to do some things, you know. But I understand where my body's at. Uh, I have some feebleness in my knees. Like, for example, I don't, I would not want to jump off this platform right now, even though it's only three feet high, because for me, my knees are not just prepared to take that. So the question becomes when you have a weak part of your body, how do you make it stronger? This is basically what the um, writer of Hebrews is saying if you're taking notes. Whenever you have a weakness, and a lot of you have some history in athletics, so I think you'll, you'll catch what I'm saying here. If you do a workout routine, uh, the old saying is, friends don't let friends skip leg day. Have you heard that before? Now, what that means is that sometimes when guys work out, they focus on upper body stuff, chest, biceps, triceps, and they may not work on their legs or their core. But your legs and core are just as important, but they're not as, you don't look as pretty when when you do this. You know, you're like, check out the, you know, the cannon here. So legs are a little bit of a different thing. So you could skip leg day, but what you may create is a muscle imbalance where you're weak in one place and strong in another. And that can also affect your body. So if you've ever done any training, physical therapists and so forth will say, you need to strengthen the weaker parts of your body because your body's probably weak because you're not as strong in this area. So if you have a particular weakness, a physical trainer might say, well, you got to focus on your your calves more or your hamstrings or whatever it may be so that you can kind of uh, help other things, take some pressure off other things. Now, I'm using the physical analogies because they're right here in the text. And basically, this is what the writer is saying. He's saying, if we work backwards, you gotta strengthen your feeble knees. Now, um, since there was a running analogy at the beginning of chapter 12, running the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's still what's before us here. And the image that's pictured is, if you've ever seen a runner, or maybe you did some running and their hands kind of fall. Um, The picture is that you've hit the wall. And I'll put it this way. For those of you who know the game of baseball, uh, sometimes we used to joke that we'd have some players on our team who could hit a ball in the gap. And they'd round first, they'd hit second, and they'd be headed for third. And it seems like they hit a wall. Now, there was no wall there. but, But everything kind of just slowed down. Well, when you're running, you can hit a wall. Uh, Maybe just your body can't take much more. Maybe something starts to hurt. You know, have you ever seen a runner pull a hamstring? Oh, it's painful to watch, right? Because you could tell they're just trying to grunt it out to make it to the base or something like that. Well, that's the idea, is he's saying strengthen. Since the word strengthen, it takes into English the word orthopedic, It's the idea of straighten it out, firm it up. And he starts with your hands. If your hands have fallen, if they are weak, if you've hit the wall, he's saying you gotta get back on track. Now remember the the big context, responding to discipline. Something's happened. God has corrected you. He's gotten your attention now. He's pointed out an area. You're weak in this area. You need to work on this, okay? So what do I do? Well, I have a couple of choices. I can moan about it. Yeah, I always knew I was weak in that area. <laughs> or you can do something about it. If you want to get stronger in a certain area, what do you have to do? You have to be intentional about workouts. And if you realize, oh, this is happening to me because I'm weak in this area, then you have to have a workout regimen that pays more attention to your weakness. Spiritually speaking, I think the point is clear. Quite clear, don't you? If you have a propensity towards a spiritual weakness, something that you give into regularly, you can't seem to overcome it. You uh, every time you get disciplined by God, it's for the same thing, and it and it keeps repeating, and you've got the song on repeat. Well, then here's here's what you got to do: you got to receive the discipline from God, knowing that it's for your good and to share in His holiness. And then you got to make the correction. You've got to straighten it out. you got to get back on track. And if you don't change anything, then nothing is going to change. Because in your spiritual life, there are other principles that merge into your spiritual life. Yes, you're saved by grace. Yep. Yeah, yes, we would even argue that you're kept by grace. But the effectiveness with which you run will be largely determined by what you put into your walk. There's just no way around it. And so the first, uh, let's call it exhortation, is strengthen. Look at it again. Strengthen your feeble hands. Strengthen your feeble knees. This is what the writer is saying. You've got to get these things worked out straightened out. ESV has it this way. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Um, Sometimes, I think there's probably a place when we've been in a pattern of compromise at some point to either look in the mirror or have somebody else say to us, you know, don't you think it's about time that you you stop that? (laughs) I mean, I know, I know, it's hard to hear if you're on the receiving end of that, but don't you think that at some point, have some of you had that happen to you before where maybe you heard it through a radio preacher or a coach or a parent and they just said to you, you know, you are gonna, gonna keep playing around with this? I mean, how many more spankings do you need until you're gonna figure this one out? And that's when, you know, and having, I've, I coached baseball uh, for many, many years and I learned that some of my players, Responded well to that kind of correction. And then some of them, they fell apart. So I had to take a little bit more of a gracious approach, especially as a Little, little League coach. So strengthen those drooping hand, arms and those paralyzed knees, one writer puts it. Uh, Holman says, drooping arms and tired knees are a picture of a person utterly exalted, exhausted, hitting the wall. And what what would a track coach do if they saw you, uh, let's say, just hitting that proverbial wall? Let's just say that uh, you had a loved one running a marathon and, and you were at some point along the 26.2 miles and they're passing you and, you and you look at them and you're like, oh no, they're in trouble. They've only run a half a mile. They're done, <laughs> right? You want to hand them that cup of water or whatever. But you might give them encouragement. What might you say? You can make it. You can do it. Go, 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 go. You know, something like that. And that could help, right? Some, sometimes just a word of encouragement could boost your spirits or maybe some self-talk or someone riding with you. you let's say you're riding a bike and, and someone pushes you a little bit up, up the next hill. It's that kind of thing. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Encouraged Job with these words, he said, "Behold, you've amo- you've admonished many. Job four three and four. If you're taking notes, you've strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand. You have strengthened feeble knees. Job four three and four. So I want to just say, from the standpoint of the body of Christ, you can do that too." When you are a discipler, when you're a spiritual coach, when you're pouring into other people, when you have a, you lead a Bible study, you do something spiritually, and you're pouring into others, that's something that you can do. Because remember, the analogy here is not just you alone on a track, it's there's a cloud of witnesses, there's others runners running. And if I could say to you, if I saw you starting to hit the wall, Go, go, go. You can make it. Don't give up. I'm right here with you. There's a strength in that. Job did that for other people. He strengthened weak hands and feeble knees. The writer, and you're going to notice this all throughout from different portions of Scripture, quotes uh, borrowing language from Isaiah 35.3. If you're taking notes, it reads this way. Isaiah 35.3 says, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. Later, the writer will uh, call this the highway to holiness. I think it's about verse 11 of Isaiah 35, somewhere in there. The highway to holiness, kind of this running imagery again. And you may remember, if you were here on Sunday, that Jesus quoted Isaiah 35 to show John the Baptist that he was the Messiah, and he was strengthening feeble body parts and his words were meant to strengthen John the Baptist in prison. And so the same section now quoted by the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, what do you do now? You got to get back into training. What do you do now? You need to focus on areas that are weak. Coaches will often say that you're only as good as your weakest player. You're only as good as your weakest player. I remember some years back, we had a, a little league team and we had a a young man that wasn't the greatest baseball player, and and he was having a tough time of it. And uh, the kids were not cutting him much of a break. I was coaching about ten and eleven year olds. We had a few twelve year olds on the team, and we had a great season that year. But this particular young man, um, you know, he just he became kind of a target. And he would sit on the mound in the middle of a practice, put his glove on his head, and just start to cry. And he wouldn't move. And I was trying to hit ground balls, and I was like. Dude, <laughs> come on, man. And the kids were chirping at him. And it was, you know, it often turned very dramatic. It was pastoral training. I'm, I'm kind of used to it. But anyway, different story. So we were in this tournament game. And uh, it came, we had two outs. Uh, we had runners on. And sure enough, this kid came to the plate in the most critical moment of the season. And he had not gotten a hit all year to to the best of my recollection. And he was almost an automatic strikeout every time he was up. And so he went to the plate, and I was like, all right, (laughs) this is your time. You can do it, baby, you know, giving him all the encouragement. And somehow, he made contact. He hit hit it right back to the pitcher, a little ground ball. And the pitcher caught it, and I thought, game over. And he kind of just did one of those, (laughs) and he let it go. It went over the first baseman's head, and we won the game. I was so happy for this kid. I was praying curses on the pitcher, you know, Lord, get him right now! No, I'm just kidding, I, I didn't do that. But he threw it away, and it was a glorious moment. And, but sure enough, at the critical moment in this tournament game, our weakest player came to the plate. But I had worked with him all year, and just at that right moment, he was able just to get his bat on the ball, and we ended up winning the game on an error, but still it was a win. What do we do when we're feeling weak? What do we do when we're weary and tired? How do we get back on track? Well, the joy of the Lord can be your strength. Nehemiah 8.10. Those who look or hope for the Lord or wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Isaiah 40.31. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Literally, gain new strength could be renew or exchange your weakness for God's strength. Now, please hear what I'm about to say really, really well. I am not talking in the spiritual realm about you just working a little bit harder because that's not what this is about. I am talking about you leaning into the Lord a little bit harder. I am talking about more dependence on the Lord. I'm talking about you getting a little bit more serious and putting on the clothing of the new man every day. I'm talking about getting more serious about your prayer life. I'm talking about getting more serious about putting on the armor of God, more serious about spiritual warfare, more serious about the dynamics of what make strength in the spiritual realm. And the the sports imagery's usually have to do with us working harder, training harder, and there's a component of that. But it's time to cast away despondency and press on or press into the Lord. That's the key. Strengthen those things. Let him strengthen those things that are weak. Verse 13, from an individual to a corporate application, make straight paths for your feet The word your is plural there, so it's probably a corporate um, application. Quoting now, so we had um, a prophet, Isaiah 35 and verse 12. Now we have a proverb. This writer is very familiar with scripture. And now he quotes Proverbs 4.26 and verse 13. And he says, so that, he says, make straight paths for your feet quoting the uh, Septuagint of Proverbs four twenty six, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The NIV reads this way, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. Now, when you're healing from an injury, you gotta be careful about what you do, where you run. So let's just say that you were rehabbing a, a leg injury. It would not be wise to run down a cobblestone street or an uneven field or something like that. You gotta be careful, right? You gotta pace yourself. You, you've gotta make sure that the obstacles are not in your way so that you re-injure yourself, if you will. You gotta make straight paths or level paths for your feet so that what's hurting or what is mending Look at the end of verse 13. May not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You don't want to get hurt again. Uh, Here's here's what can happen. Sometimes you have an athlete, he gets hurt, he goes on the disabled list, and they and he rushes back too quickly, and he's not ready. Uh, Recently, one of the Dodgers starting pitchers went down and he has an elbow injury and he's out for the year. They just announced it. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Wasn't his elbow hurting up to that point? And we can only guess, right? Maybe they're so focused on keeping their starting job. It's so competitive. Who knows? Sometimes, you know, these guys get these Tommy John surgeries. You guys familiar with that? Where they repair a tendon, you know, in your arm. It's happening younger and younger. Some baseball pitchers have had two or three of these. Well, it takes you like two years to come back from that thing. A year and a half, two years. And if you rush coming back and you snap it again, it ain't going to be pretty. Here's a principle. If you've just gone through a time of discipline and, and you got an area or two of focus where, you know what, I gotta get stronger there. Don't think just because you did push-ups for a week you can enter a contest. <laughs> All right, that's it. I, I'm good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in the powerlifting you know, finals. No, you're not. Just try to do 25 push-ups now instead of you know 15. Pace yourself. <laughs> In the spiritual realm, you don't want to get ahead of yourself too quickly. Because if you do, you might get hurt again. I told you guys this story, but it's worth repeating at this point. I I got hit in a slow-pitch softball game in the nose. I was sliding into home plate. The catcher grabbed the ball at the backs up, you know, just flung it, and it caught Pastor Michael's nose and rearranged my nose. And it will explain a lot to you guys of what's happened right here. But anyway, and I remember... Long story short, I was driven home from Orange to Corona in a Jeep with gauze up my nose and not feeling really well. And this Jeep, you felt every bump on the 91 freeway. I was like, <laughs> in this Jeep. And I was like, there must be a better vehicle after you've just broken your nose and had it, you know, relocated and then put back in place. Could have been a better vehicle. I don't know what the Lord was trying to show me there, but anyway, I was disabled and then more disabled. So you wanna do things that will promote healing. So you gotta be careful where you walk. You gotta be careful what you're ready for. Example. Let's say that someone comes out of uh, addictions to drugs and alcohol. And let's say an evangelism team is going to go witnessing at a place where that stuff is present. Should that person be there? Probably not. Now, could they come to a point where maybe they would be strong enough to handle that after some years? Do you know that they say that this is what I've heard, that you don't overcome an addiction for at least seven years of not doing that thing? And sometimes we overcome something for a weekend and we think we're ready to conquer the world. And we gotta be careful because we have an enemy that's very clever. And sometimes we just get ahead of ourselves. And so the writer quoting from Proverbs 4.26, here's how it reads. It'll be familiar to a lot of you. Watch the path of your feet. He's quoting actually the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Watch the path of your feet, Proverbs 4.26, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. That's Proverbs 4.26-27. 4, Proverbs 4.25 says, "Look, let your eyes look directly ahead. Fix your gaze in front of you. Proverbs 4.23, just before this says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life, right? So, Run on level ground. Uh, don't re-injure yourself. Don't dislocate. Since it's a collective uh, plural, James 5.16 comes to mind. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Proverbs three five and 6 tells us, to trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. And all our ways were to acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will make your paths straight. So that's a lesson, right? I lean more on him. I'm in that process of healing and he's gonna do the work and uh, he's gonna refresh my soul and strengthen me. Next exhortation in verse 14. Pursue peace, okay, I've learned a little bit about healing, but what do I pursue? Well, pursue peace. Remember, um, peace was mentioned in verse 11. After we're disciplined, notice the end of verse 11, it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 14 says, pursue peace. What do I do when I want to get stronger in my spiritual life? I, I need to pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification, that could be holiness, that connects to verse 12, God disciplines us so that we might share in his holiness. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that's a wow. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now every student of the Bible should ask, what does that mean? And how much holiness is required to see the Lord? Well, remember, you are given the holiness of Christ once you become a Christian. You have the righteousness of Christ. But the Bible also calls for practical holiness. We'll come back to that in a second. In a spiritual workout plan, what is that spiritual workout plan? It's to heal, it's to get better, it's to pursue some things. And one of the things that you pursue is peace. Go back to the race imagery. What should I be chasing in the race? In this case, it's peace. I should pursue it. What does that mean? Well, since it's a horizontal peace, it means if I have broken relationships, if I am mistreating someone in my life, a brother or sister in Christ, that may be why God is disciplining me. And if the big backdrop of the text is how to respond to God's discipline, if daddy spanked me and basically, he said, you are not treating this person right and you're offending me and I take that personally and I'm gonna spank you for it and he's got your attention. Now, what do you do? Well, practically speaking, you've gotta to try to mend that relationship because you're not gonna run better until that's settled. Now, our writer quotes from a psalm. Psalm thirty-four, fourteen our author's love and knowledge of scripture shines through this entire section. Psalm thirty-four, fourteen, puts it this way. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. If you have enmity in, in a bunch of relationships and you think that you're going to be spiritual, he- spiritually healthy, you are mistaken. You cannot say that you love God and hate your brother. Can't. Now you, you and I can all have some relationships that could be better. As much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people, Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends on you. So if you hit the ball to the other person and they're not playing ball, okay, you do the best you can, but you gotta hit the ball if you haven't hit the ball, then you're not pursuing peace. So essentially what I see here is God is saying, look, in, the, in this little Hebrew church, there's probably some division, and it could be over theological debates. It could be over people who have backslidden or apostatized. That's the background of, background of much of the book. And so relationships are probably broken within this church. And it has caused people to slow down. Some have left the track. Some have stopped running or they've dropped their arms. I mean, let's face it. When other people are not doing well, maybe people who have run next to us for a long time, our arms sometimes drop when their arms drop. You ever seen a, a team start fighting within? That's when you know you got them beat. When they start arguing among themselves, you've got them beat. And that's what's happening apparently here in this little Hebrew church. And so he's saying, look, if you want this to be mended, you're going to have to pursue this peace. And then he talks about pursuing holiness. Um, Notice, that's the sanctification, uh, middle of 14, without which no one will see the Lord. I would say that's pretty important, whatever that is, because we got to have it (laughs) to see the Lord. So I want to know what it is. And holiness is a byproduct of knowing the Holy One. You know, just like we say, if you're a Christian, there's going to be some fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, It's inevitable. It's got to happen. If you belong to Christ, you're going to show some of that. Yeah, you're going to have times and you're not doing as well, but you're going to show some of it. Well, God disciplines us that we might share his holiness, and God is doing a work to make us holy. 2 Corinthians 7.1 puts it this way. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You might ask, Pastor Michael, how does one pursue holiness? Well, back to the track imagery, if, if me getting better as a runner, if, if I'm responding to correction with the, this spiritual plan, then I'm supposed to pursue peace and pursue holiness. How might you pursue holiness? Simply by pursuing Christ. Christ. You, you become more holy the closer you get to Christ. Holiness is becoming more like the holy one. Can it be that simple for us? Yes. Because I know as an American, I start thinking of, of a list. Okay, if I do this, 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 and this, and I can check my boxes, then I'm, I'm a holier person, right? Well, maybe. But I think it'd be just much more simple. If you just get closer to Christ, you fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. How do I get that? 1 Timothy 1.5 puts it this way. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Look, from my flesh, I can do nothing good. I must put on the Lord Jesus Christ to pursue holiness. Amen? I must put on the new man. I must put on the things of heaven. I need a spiritual endowment. It can't be Michael. It must be Christ in me. It must be the new man. And that's, I think, the key. It's a spiritual makeover. It's walking out who you are in Christ. You're a new creation. Not being two-faced, not being, you know, um, a phony. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Uh, In the homeless communities, at least in the past, they used to have something called a de-lousing room. Homeless person would come in there. They hadn't showered for a couple of months, whatever it may be. And the delousing room, they would change their clothes, get a shower, and put on new clothing. This is the key to holiness. Um, we've, we've had some, some moments here. We have a shower in the back, and there's been some times where, when we've uh, run into some homeless people, and I would say Pastor Shane uh, did this a, a while ago, and he was ministering to a young man on the streets, and the guy hadn't had a shower for a long time, and let him come and use the shower. And for him, it was a huge thing. And, you know, he was able to get, get clean and, and get, a, you know, at least get a little bit of a break from the life that he was living. Um, one more scripture, if you're taking notes 1 Timothy 4 7. Have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 4 7. All right, moving down, we're, we're tracking now towards the finish line. See to it, verse 15, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Now, our writer continues to quote Scripture from the Old Testament, and here he has reached into Deuteronomy 29, 18, if you're taking notes, and the essence of that Scripture says this, If there's someone in the camp of Israel back in the Old Testament who begins to worship idols, that person becomes a root or a poisonous fruit in the camp. They become a root of bitterness that can spread to other people. The writer of Hebrews picks up that analogy from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29, 18, moves it into our text and says that another reason why you may be injured Sidelined, or corrected by God or all of the above is because instead of leaning into the grace of God, and I, I would see this here, the grace of God being the strength that God provides. Um, he's got all the grace that we need, strengthening grace. Westcott puts it this way, see to it that you do not fall behind by not keeping pace with the movement of divine grace. So, If you don't keep up, if you don't keep pace, if you quit before you cross the finish line, so to speak, careful that a root of bitterness might spring up and cause trouble, not just for you, but what might happen? It might defile many. Now, if you have a home and you take care of your own lawn, one of the coveted pieces of equipment for any uh, lawn, home, lawn taker, carer, <laughs> is a weed whacker. Y'all love the weed whacker. Oh, boom! boom, 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 boom you start that. Rah, 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 put on the Jason mask, <laughs> scare your neighbors. Just kidding. Don't do that. Um, but that thing is fun, right? And it's power. <laughs> and but if you go somewhere and you just start knocking the top off of weeds and. Have you seen, there's some alien-looking kind of weeds out there. They have spikes, and they'll speak to you. (laughs) Go ahead and try it. Make my day. You know, that kind of thing. And you come up with a weed whacker, and you whack that thing. It feels good. But you know what you haven't done? You haven't removed the root. And it's hard work to remove roots. Can I get a witness? Oftentimes when I say, all right, I'm I'm taking the hill today. I'm going to remove those weeds, and I'm going for the root, baby. And then you, you pull the first two, and the top comes off, and the bottom stays in, and the weed's like, <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, I got something for you, <laughs> right? Well, here's what you know. Unless you dig that thing out by the root, it might feel good, and, and you may have caused it to disappear for a short season, but you know what's going to happen? Oh, that weed's coming back probably with a vengeance, probably with seven more friends, more wicked than itself, if you know what I'm saying. And so you got to get to the root of things, because if you don't pull it up by the root, well, it can spring up again and cause what? Trouble. So let me just make an application. Maybe this is you. God's disciplined you recently, you felt it. You know some things are out of whack, and you're trying to do the right thing, and you're trying to heal and get better, but there's a root of bitterness, and it keeps popping up. That's because you haven't dealt with the root, and dealing with roots is a lot more work. I mean, the weed whacker just makes it easy, but But I haven't dealt, really dealt with it. And it's going to spring up again inevitably. And it may be that that's why some of the Hebrews are going through this discipline. So see to it that no one, none of you, comes short of the grace of God. If there's some rude issues going on with others, um, You gotta get to the bottom of it. You may need to do a little work. Some of you have some hard wounds from the past. They can be hard to deal with. Some of you have swept them under the rug, so to speak. Um, It's hard. Some of you have done some work. You've done some honest, hard work, but sometimes you don't even know what to do. And, you know, I'll credit Pastor John as he walks in the back door, that he he will talk a lot to people in counseling because he comes from, you know, having a background in addiction ministry and training that, you know, you got to deal with some root. Some things need to come into the light before you can truly be healed or you're going to keep limping in this area. It's going to grow back and it may be poisonous. And so dealing with root issues, um, challenging but doable usually starts with just being honest with yourself and God, and then going from there. Um, I think I'll leave that there, but uh, someone once said that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It just hurts you if you have a root of bitterness, And and there's not always easy answers. There's not a formula for every situation, but I'll just say that that could be why you're stuck in a pattern, Okay, We're going to end with a face that will be contrasted with the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Remember we had the cloud of witnesses and Elijah taught us about that great cloud and all those great names from Abraham and David and others. Well, now we're going to get a face on the negative side, a negative example. Someone who didn't really run well. See to it that there be no immoral or godly person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Now the writer pulls from the life of the patriarchs from the book of Genesis. You can write down Genesis 25, 33, and 34 and Genesis 27, 34, the life of Esau. Esau was the older twin brother of Jacob. Jacob became the, the head of the nation of Israel. And Esau being born first had firstborn privileges to most of his father's estate and all that went with that. But he came back famished from hunting one day and Jacob had whipped up some nice hearty stew and he said, "Ah, Hey, give me that stew. What do you give me for? I'll I'll give you my birthright for that stew. And he he gave his birthright away. Now, you got to understand, a birthright... Was basically your entire inheritance. As the firstborn, you got most of the stuff, and he gave it away for a bowl of hardy man stew. How dumb can you be? Now, Esau was known to be big red. He was a hunter, outdoorsman, apparently about as sharp as a basketball. I'm not sure. Anyway, that was sort of a joke. You guys didn't appreciate that? Anyway, so. Big Red came in, but here's the spiritual principle. All the people in the Hall of Faith took a long-term view. Moses, Abraham, they were looking to the promises from afar. Moses suffered temporary discomfort for the reward. He didn't want to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't want to, you know, uh, have all the pleasures of Egypt, the passing pleasures. He went out and suffered with the people of God, took the reproach of Christ. Everybody with me? He took the long-term view of faith. What did Esau do? He took the short-term view. Give me that stew and give it to me now. Yeah, you're gonna have my birthright. It'd be like signing over your house and car for a bowl of soup. I don't care how good of a cook Jacob is. It ain't worth it. Microwave a burrito and move on, man, (laughs) right? Right? but he did this dumb thing. Spiritual point, this. If you take a short-term view, if pleasure right in front of you and the smoke's coming up from the stew and you're like, yeah, you can have it, yeah, and you do something dumb and you take a short-term view for the moment of pleasure, then you're gonna pay the right, The you're gonna pay the, uh, loss of losing the birthright what 's the birthright? How does this apply to the Hebrew church? Well, people are walking away apparently from their faith in Christ for what? a little bit of pressure, familial, religious, spiritual oh, i 'm done with this this it 'll be just much easier if I just right. Yeah, where do I sign? And they're signing it away. But you know what happened to Esau? Esau regretted what he did. And he's described as a godless man. The Greek word for godless is secular. Listen to this. The word means accessible, permitted to be trodden. It speaks the word godless of a person who constantly leaves themselves open or exposed for sin to fly in the door. I never thought I would do this, but as I get older, I do what my mom used to do to us. Close that door. Air conditioning's on. It's gonna happen to you, I promise you. You don't think you're gonna do it, but you're gonna do it. There's flies coming in the house. Demonic flies. (laughs) Right? It's just true. Close that door. Close that door. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it's happened to me. Can anybody else relate? We have counseling available. Anyway, a godless person continues to leave themselves open, exposed to falling. And this is what Esau did. He gave away one of the most important things he could have in his life over momentary pleasure. But here's what happened. You know that even afterwards, final verse for tonight, when he desired to inherit the blessing, so now he regretted it and he went back and Jacob's gonna trick him twice. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. He went back to his father later and Jacob had connived him twice, dressed up with fur on him. And you guys remember that story and convinced His father, who could not see well at this point in his life. And the dad gave Jacob the blessing while Esau was out hunting. And when Esau came back, dad realized he had been tricked, but it was too late. He had already given the blessing. And he said, I can't take it back. And Esau was crying. Oh, oh, no, no. Isn't there a blessing for me? And dad famously says, it's too late. I already blessed him. It's too late. What's the point of this story? Well, it's it's giving you a a negative example in Esau. Don't get so focused on the instant pleasure that the world's offering left and right that you give away your inheritance. You give give away your blessing. And whether or not one can do that, that's up for debate, you know, in terms of salvation and so forth. But I think the bigger point here is don't give away what should be most important to you. Does it amaze some of you how people will just give away what should be most important to them? Don't do that. Yeah, a moment of pleasure is pleasure, but that's all it is, and then you can't take it back. And Esau, he tried. You know, it even says the word repentance, but he couldn't find a place for it, though he was, he was sad, but it was too late, Now here's the good news. In Christ, it's never too late, and later on, Esau and Jacob are reconciled. Uh, Esau held a grudge against his brother for many years, and you may remember an Old Testament scene where Esau's coming with a bunch of men, and Jacob thinks he's going to kill him and his family, and Esau doesn't kill him. Esau, hugs them, and they reconcile. So I think implicit in the story is hope for restoration. And that may be may, maybe what the writer is at least implying that, yeah, Esau blew it. But even for Esau, there was hope and there was some rec- reconciliation in the end. What can we learn from the text? I think a lot. And I hope that there's been a lot for you to think about by way of application. Things that you can strengthen in your life that are weak, verse 12. Getting obstacles out of the way, verse 13. Uh, Mending relationships, verse 14. Pursuing peace and holiness. Um, Leaning into the grace of God so that you can have the strength that you need. Getting rid of um, roots of bitterness in your life so that you, you don't defile yourself and others. And learning even from a negative example like Esau, who gave away what should have been most important for a moment of pleasure, And then holding on to the hope that even if you've made a mistake, there's always an opportunity for forgiveness in Christ. Amen? Father, thank you for tonight. We're grateful for your word, for the practical application of it, for what we can learn from it. I pray tonight that those who may not know Jesus as Lord and Savior yet would trust in him and him alone for their salvation. I pray that they would cry out, to the one who came on that rescue mission, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and will give us forgiveness of sin and his righteousness. Thank you for the great plan of salvation, and thank you for the journey of sanctification. We want to run this race well. We realize sometimes you discipline us, but when you do, it's for our good that we may share your holiness. And I pray that indeed we would become a little bit more like Jesus because of what we've experienced tonight. We lay our lives afresh at your feet. We ask for your help in our journey of sanctification. And we, and we ask for strength um, wherever you would help. Uh, ask us to uh, do something practically tonight that jumped off the page. Help us to follow through, to work on those weak areas, to do that mending, to do whatever we're called to do, and help us to do it by the grace and strength found in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.